This week on Kettle of Fish, Paul Goebel stops by to talk about Big Bang finales and zombie cliffhangers. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish. This is usually the show before the show and the talk before the talk. However, no ignorance equation today. We finished up our last episode on Blog Talk um, last Sunday. We are doing our last episode of Kettle of Fish on Blog Talk Radio today. Um, But I did want to still do, even though we didn't do an ignorance equation today, I definitely did not want to cancel or reschedule with Mr. Paul Goebel, the king of TV. He's one of my absolute favorite people in the world to talk to about TV. But we are getting ready. We got one more show, one more official show. We'll do a few live ones. But one more official show with um, Tom Kiefer from Cinderella at the end of the month on our music show. And then we are moving over to Tin Can Media. So real quick, Fern is with us. Dee is with us. Are you guys ready to get fishy? Oh, yes. I feel like we should have some sort of grand send-off, and and Paul's a good way to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Dee, why don't you tell us about Tin Can Media and our new podcast network and our plans for the summer? Well, not us. Well, that is our new podcast network. Uh, Yeah, tincan.media. Not .com because that shit's so old. We're doing tincan.media is where you will be able to find all of our upcoming shows we will, of course, be starting out with the Ignorance Equation and uh, Friday. I don't know about Friday Night Drunken Trivia yet, um, but we'll have Kettle of Fish and Musical Osmosis, and we have a couple of other shows that are going to be joining us very, very, very soon, um, if not starting out with us. We hope to launch our network uh, right around July 4th, which, of course, is my birthday, but you will be mm-hmm. able to find uh, podcasts and podcasts and blogs and daily everything. So it will basically just about be your one-stop shop for everything Saucy and D and Cern and a few of our friends. Um, and it, it, yeah, and we're, Badger, of course. Don't be the bad And Badger, of course, of course. Um, there's so many things that are going to be under Umbrella. I don't want to give away too much just yet. But it's, I mean, it's really going to be awesome. Just every this little thing that every single one of us, yeah, every little thing that every one of us is passionate about or interested in. Also, you will be able to very soon uh, listen to us live um, from another site that will be announced as soon as I have it set up. Um, you'll be able to listen to us live and interact with us live and chat with us live and call in live just like you do now. Only if you miss it, then you'll only be able to go to tincan.media to find all of our episodes of every single show, along with our blog articles. Wait, wait. Are you saying instead of having five separate websites for all our different shows, we'll be able to find it all under one easy umbrella without all the bullshit sound issues and switchboard issues Mm -hmm. of Blog Talk Radio? Along with those, you will be able to see videos of how to do different things from uh, different guests and friends of ours. And we will be working closely with a lot of guests that you have heard and loved on our shows here, along with some new ones. 
Um, and it's just going to be this giant conglomeration of everything we think is awesome, and you'll be able to find it all in one spot. So, and let you know, me tell you, media. the issues that we've had, we've been doing this three years on Blog Talk, and it's been great for starting out, but we've kind of hit a ceiling. So, yeah, so we've got all of that coming up, and um, be sure to keep an eye on our Facebook pages, our personal pages, and the Ignorance Equation, et cetera, because we are going on vacation for a whole month, which means we are going to be recording things live and doing some videos and all kinds of cool stuff that you would not normally see with the Ignorance Equation, but that you will see all the time with TinCan.media. We're pulling back the curtain, man. Yes. We got a break in the fourth wall here. Um, okay, so we're gonna get Paul here in a moment. Let me make a little bit of a declaration here, um, since this is our last official kettle of fish episode until we launch the new site, and this kind of goes to all the fans. Paul's been on the show a bunch of times. I'm sure he'll be on a bunch more times. So it's, this isn't me kissing anyone's ass or anything. I don't have anybody on the shows that I'm not a huge fan of to start with, unless I'm doing a favor for somebody. I always have people on there I admire. And I know Fern and Dee can relate to this. I love every guest we have on the show. And if we have someone like mm-hmm. Mayor Federman on from Braddock, amazing. You know, the friendships mm-hmm. I've made with, like, Bushman and Novenbrino and all those guys, amazing. John Lear, of course, the friendships we've made with him, amazing. But when we have people on that I grew up watching, because I had a pretty messed up childhood, right? And, you know, my mom was struggled with mental illness. My dad was a bit of an abusive drunk. And um, I grew up in the country, a thousand miles from anybody. I had no friends. I watched TV. Like, that was my lifeline. That was my escape. Mm-hmm. And I watched a lot of TV. I watched New Heart and MASH and um, Soap and all these shows when I was young, 10 to 13, until I moved to McKeesport. And these were, like, my safe haven. So when I can go back and talk with and make friendships or relationships with people like William Sanderson or Jay Johnson from Soap or, you know, I've, we've only had Jamie on, Jamie Farr on once, but it was still an incredible honor to talk to him. And somebody like Paul Goebel, that show came on a little bit later. I was probably in my late teens, early 20s when that show came on, Beat the Geeks. But it was really good to inspire me. And and another reason I'm doing this, because a couple of people have written me lately and said what my work means to them. So I'm trying to like push it forward, pay it forward and kind of introduce Paul and say what his work means to me. And I know it's just like when I was just a game show on comedy central or whatever, but knowing that there was somebody, the TV geek and that he grew up watching TV and this is where he's at. And I was like, you know, cause when someone's on TV and you're young, you're like, Oh, he must live in a mansion. And he's got, like, he can't go to the deli without getting mobbed by roving gangs of fangirls like Keith Partridge or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is what I think. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm looking here at Paul Goebel, and he's the king of TV. He, he's the TV geek. Like, I didn't write the music geek or um, the movie geek or the special James Bond geek once I was able to start doing this. I wrote the TV geek because that's somebody who inspired me, and that's something I carried with me. And I was like, I want to do things like the TV geek. And then when I looked him up and found his podcast, I was like, I, this is what I want to do. I mean, we had already been doing the podcast at that point, but it just gives you direction. Just like being able to work with Corey from Warrior Soul, that's a man who had a huge impact on like the filter with which I see politics and social issues through. This is always a privilege. And I'm just glad us wrapping up this last episode on this network of Kettle of Fish. And I'm not bashing Blog Talk, by the way. Like I said, they've been great 
for the first three years, but we've got to move on and get better analytics and stuff. But I mean, you guys agree, right? That these mm-hmm. are the these are the big moments, and our work we do on the ignorance equation and bringing people together politically that's just as important. But this is the stuff that I really carry with me is talking with Paul and William and people like that, right, guys? This is the fun stuff. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and and just to get some of the insight, you know, behind the scenes and you know things. Sometimes we pull things that just other people haven't pulled out, and it's very unique and. And uh, it's it's definitely fun. I I certainly have appreciated all of it and all of the guests, and it's it's a blast to get to know these people on a more personal level and you know hear the background because the background's fascinating sometimes. I mean, extremely fascinating. Alrighty, well let's get Paul in here because I got a lot I want to talk to him about today. Actually, Paul Goble, what's up? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good Can man. Like I said in the intro, I just want—I don't think I've told you this before. I just want to thank you for what you do. It has actually been very inspiring to what I do. So I want you to know things that you do. I know everybody kind of gets frustrated. None of us is where we want to be in our career. Otherwise, we would be complacent. But I just want to thank you for what you do on this last episode we're doing on here. Well, I appreciate you uh, uh, paying attention to what I do. It's nice to know that somebody, somebody's watching and paying attention. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, like I always say, I mean, I can't be the only one. I'm not a complete anomaly. I'm a weirdo, but I'm sure there's a lot of other people paying attention to you, or, you know, you have fans, and you're going to be on At Midnight this Tuesday, and we'll touch on that in a bit. I want to start off with this. I'm totally shifting gears because I saw something this morning that I thought was right in your wheelhouse I wanted to talk about. Um, Grandfather on NBC, I believe it's on, right? Or is it Fox? Grandfather on Fox. 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 Which I actually love Grinder. It's a great premise for a show. I was disappointed that Grinder got canceled. I didn't care. Yeah. I've seen one episode of Grandfather, didn't care for it. And that got canceled as well. But John Stamus kind of tweeted out um, I just saw this article today, so maybe it was a few days ago. But he said, you know, this is the end of network television. This, we've, we're experiencing the death of network TV, Grandfather getting canceled. It, does he have a point, or is this just sour grapes with Stamos? Well, um, I think it's a little bit of both, uh, quite frankly, because um, when he talks about the death of network TV, what he means is uh, there are plenty of valuable and viable places to go to get your TV besides the networks, uh, you know, especially considering some of these TV shows aren't even on TV. You have to watch them on your computer via Roku or whatever, you know, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. Um, the fact that, you know, amazing award-winning television programs are being made by, uh, you know, Amazon and and Hulu and Netflix, uh, yeah, it's certainly uh, something that the networks have to pay attention to because, you know, people are watching. Maria Bamford's show is going to premiere this week, and people are going to go crazy for it. And, you know, meanwhile, the networks don't have anything new, and, in fact, they're canceling shows, like you said. And Fox is, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic that John Stamos should say that because the death of the networks came along when Fox premiered. Uh, you know, they Fox made their own rules, and, uh, you know, it was a big deal to be a fourth network at the time, but because they were new, they made their own rules, and they said, well, we're not going to be on uh, as many hours as the other networks, and, 
you know, uh, they don't, as far as acting and uh, uh, SAG rates go, uh, Fox shows don't pay as much as other network shows still to this day. Um, you know, so for him to say, oh, it's the death of the network, well, Fox had certainly a part of that. But the, but on the other side, like you said, yes, I think it is Sour Grapes because he clearly put a lot of work into this show. You know, he was a producer on this show. And uh, and also he saw it from the other side because he was a producer on the new Full House on Netflix, so right. he got to see he got to see the way it works both sides. And I think I don't know I don't necessarily mean think he means uh, you know ah screw this screw the networks. I think he's like geez, the show I produced for Netflix everybody loves and it came and it came on and everybody watched it and talked about it and now we've moved on. The show I worked really hard on for Fox. Uh, got canceled, even though everybody I talked to loves it. You know, I wasn't a fan of Grandfathered, but uh, unlike, but like you, I was a huge fan of The Grinder, and the fact that mm-hmm. that got canceled is actually very surprising to me, because it's it's a very funny and clever show. But the you know, business is business, and you know, TV isn't movies. You can't uh, you know you can't risk having a show that's the TV equivalent of Batman versus Superman on TV uh, yeah. because there's too there's too much money involved uh, over a long period of time and you know sometimes networks will take a chance or they'll extend the show that is losing money um, just uh, for uh, prestige you know because the show is getting a lot of critical buzz or or sometimes just as a <laughs> like a nice thing for the fans like Fringe on Fox. I guess, from what I understand, lost money every season because so few people watched it. But it was an amazing show, and the fan base loved it. So they kept it going as long as they possibly could and gave the fans a nice nice finale like CBS is doing with Person of Interest right now. So, uh, So there's that. But the bottom line is when a show gets canceled, it's because people, not enough people watched it. And you know that show was not cheap. You know, John Stamos does not uh you know <laughs> does not come cheap so uh i it was a it was a lofty goal uh, and i i remember when it premiered i said yeah john stamos and another cute kid who's not going to watch that uh mm-hmm. but quite frankly i think they they leaned on that a little too much with john stamos and the cute kid what they needed was two more guys and then uh two more little girls on the show and I think that would have been perfect, and maybe a couple twins actually playing the, the baby. That might yeah, make that the show perfect. perfect. <laughs> well, or just better jokes, because I watched it quite a bit, and I really wanted to like it. I liked the premise of it. Um, I thought it was funny how you know, they always gagged on, oh, John Stamos isn't old, but he's a grandfather, and da-da-da. And I was like, okay, let me see where this can go. And it just never got there. So... I think that yeah, was a part of, downfall. Yeah, part of the big problem with the show was they wanted this whole, you know, burgeoning romance between him and Padgett Brewster, you know, set up that they had this kid long ago and now they don't, they don't like each other and they're very different. And that mm-hmm. was clearly the, the premise, but you're right. Unfortunately, they never went anywhere with it. He, mm-hmm. you know, he, he didn't really, any changes he went through as a character were, were you know easy to see coming, and uh, yeah. and that was you know and that was dumb. And then the other characters just didn't move in a way that was interesting. And while they were all funny when they were in a group, um, you know that that 
can't sustain itself. After a while, people go, yeah, this show is funny, but I'm kind of over it. You know, Big Bang yeah. Theory is a perfect example. That had a lot of laughs in the beginning, and people loved it. But then eventually they said, well, we got to make these characters real and actually have them doing things. And now the relationships between all the characters and the way they've grown and, you know, they act like real people, it makes the show really entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting, too, because that's one of the shows I wanted to talk about, the season finale, which I was kind of disappointed in, to be honest. It didn't seem like a season finale to me. And I jumped on board of that show early on, like maybe mid-second season. And I was like, this is a great show. I think this has five or six seasons in it. And now it's finishing up season nine, renewed for season ten. But I feel like they're so adult now. Like, are they going to be right. 50 talking about playing Halo and watching Star Trek? <laughs> I, I don't know we are. Well, it, it, that's fine to be like a fanboy or a nerd or whatever. When you're in your 50s, I'll be 45 next week, and that's fine. But to watch it and to watch these guys start families and stuff, I don't know how much farther can this show go, Paul. I'm kind of surprised. I love the show, but I don't understand how they're going to pull another two or three seasons out of it. <laughs> yeah, well... Also, uh, I, I mean, I think you're exactly right. Two or three seasons are all they got. Because also, it's funny, I talked, we, I talked about this on my podcast, Hey, Watch This, this week. And I brought up the fact that, you know, eventually these, these cast members, especially the two stars, are going to want a giant, giant pile of money or they're just going to walk away because they don't want to do it anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, unfortunately, that's generally when a show stops is when the stars uh, be, you know, have have a more power than the creators, and and you're right. They've they've uh, you know fleshed out these characters. You know, one of them's married, one of them's getting married, one of them's having a kid. Uh, it, you know, they're not relying on gags anymore. It's more traditional. It's just like Friends, quite frankly. The first yeah. season of Friends was just a, a gang comedy where they all sat together and cracked jokes and didn't get anything done. But then, you know, as the show went on, it was really, it was, you know, after the whole Ross and Rachel thing was finally resolved that the show got really good. And, you know, and they started having lives and stuff. And so that's what makes the show, that's what keeps it alive. And as far as the Big Bang Theory goes, I think uh, they sacrifice, now they're airing more on on the side of rather, instead of let's laugh at Sheldon, it's more like let's laugh with with Sheldon uh, because we know what he's, you know, kind of what he goes through. Because, I mean, at this point, it's clear that Sheldon is like high functioning autistic, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that episode uh, a few weeks ago where he took uh, Blossom, where he took her to uh, to his uh, storage locker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was that so was, cute. Right. And it was really, I mean, at first you're like, ha, 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 he never throws anything away. But for the people who didn't really understand how terrible that was, they spelled it out. You know, yeah. Maya Alex said, this is really frightening, and I'll help you with this. And Sheldon knew, even though, you know, the guy can't feel emotions, he looked at her and was like, I know this isn't normal, and I'm sorry, but I can't help myself. Yeah. And and that would and that's a real thing that people like him go through. And I mean, imagine if you reached the age of thirty-five and never threw anything away. Holy crap! Mm. I wouldn't want to meet hey. that guy. So, no, I've 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 met that woman. That's my mom. I mean, just about. Yeah, and she she does throw some stuff away, but I'm not kidding. Like, 
Nick's seen my mom's house. It's, yeah, she's a hoarder. There's a path it's from the front scary. door to the kitchen through all the boxes oh, that geez. are stacked and up that's everywhere. It. Every Dr. magazine, Robin every newspaper, every... I mean, it's it's there, yeah. So how dark yeah, can these characters them. get on Big Bang, like you said, with Sheldon before the show loses its lighthearted comedy and kind of turns into, wow, these 40-year-old nerds are kind of sad. This is kind of, <laughs> like, this is a bummer, dude. This is kind of a bummer now. Yeah, the, tr- the, tr- the truth is this show is going to go off the air before, I think, before uh, any of that becomes an issue because mm-hmm. you got three things that can kill the show, and they're, coming dangerously close to it the first is uh like i said the stars are getting are are getting so popular that eventually they're going to ask for more money just like the friends did and um i you know with the friends they were all in a position to every one of them get a raise um i don't know about this show it's you know not everybody has an equal part so i don't know that that would do it but that's one two the other thing that might happen is one of them just quits. Like Melissa McCarthy said, this was great, but I'm done now. I'm a movie star. So I could easily see, you know, someone like Jim Parsons saying, no, I got this other series I want to do that's a little more important to me. You know, and they walk away, mm-hmm. and Chuck Lorre would be smart enough to say, okay, well, I can't do this series without him, so we're done. The third right. thing that would happen is, and this is, I, I didn't, I never thought this would happen until I found out that Howard and Bernie were having a baby uh, you know, having a baby on a TV show, pe- people love to see characters having a baby. They hate to see characters who have already had a baby. Mm-hmm. So, so if you know, once they have this baby, there's a very good chance that the show will, you know, suffer uh, dramatically, and people will just stop watching. And you know, it'll be the show that people talk about used to be so funny, but I haven't watched it in years. Was that a shark move to have a baby? Was that just totally jumping the shark, or did they feel like this is where the characters had to go? Well, honestly, I think in this case it was a good idea because it's not, you know, one of the main characters having a baby, which would be ridiculous. Um, And it wasn't a planned pregnancy, which is uh, fine and perfectly believable. But in this case, like you said, they they can't have these characters keep, uh, you know, living like children, especially Howard. He was probably the most, uh, you know, developmentally arrested of them all. So it's almost like we've got to thrust him now. You know, we killed off his mom, and now he's married, and he has a house, and let's give him a kid to thrust him into adulthood. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and it changes the relationship. But in some cases, you just have to do that because these characters, sometimes it, it, you know, it's a big mistake, and the show tries to backtrack. Um, and sometimes it's great, though, you know. And then they come back a season later, and all of a sudden the kid's six years old. Uh, yeah. But in this in this case, um, I don't know because honestly, I love the fact that I love their relationship on the show. I think it's it's really funny and well written. But once a baby comes along, uh, you know, all bets are off. It, it 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 rarely gets super super funny. It usually just gets really lame. So I think it I think it could go a different direction because um, as, you know, Nick and I have been to a few cons and fanboy type events, and now the the thing is people who are in that scene are having kids and bringing their kids in. So you've got oh, little babies right. who are dressed up and, you know, participating in this and, you know, toddlers who are like Batman and Wonder Woman. And, I mean, not only is it fun for them, but, like, 
for and it's for somebody my age, you know, to see a little kid dressed up as that, I mean, there is nothing cooler than that. The only thing cooler is when they do the yeah. whole wedding in it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it's like you said the little costume. I mean, so I, I think they could I think they could do really, really well with this if they let Bernadette and Howard bring that baby in to the, the, the group as it is now. Because then it's like, okay, well, it's kind of like getting a dog. It's like the dog is fun, but if you dress that dog up in clothes, then it gets really fun. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, Michelle. <laughs> Michelle was a major character on Full House from the very beginning, even before mm-hmm. she could talk. So you know, and they sustained that. Uh, granted, that yeah. was the premise of the show, but they were able to you know make people love her. And this show isn't you know it, it's funny, and it is it gets a little uh, saucy, if I may. But it, <laughs> it's 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 not like a show that you couldn't insert a baby into you know very yeah. easily. Um, it would just be a matter of, you know, and they'd probably have more stuff for uh, that character Stuart to do. He, he could become their nanny. And so oh, yeah. they give him. Oh, that's they a good idea. Get a show. Then I'll be happy. Yeah. Big Bang <laughs> collapse. All right, let's move on to the next subject because we got to burn through a few of these here. And I know we got to get Paul out of here, too. Um, last Man on Earth, very early on, two or three episodes oh, yeah. in. You were on the show. I gave you a little bit of shit about how horrible the fucking show was. I thought it was terrible. I kind of kept watching it out of spite. Like, I'm just going to watch how horrible <laughs> the show gets. And then, at somewhere along the line, I fell in love with the show, wrote you. I said, I want to talk about Last Man on Earth. And then last episode, another, another what I consider, plot hole happened that I thought was ridiculous. Um, I'm terrible with names. The lady who always gets drunk saw a drone said it was a flying oh, right. record player. She didn't know what a drone was, didn't even know how to describe it. It's the year 2020 in this series. How do you not know what a drone is? I don't understand what universe they're living in where no one could describe what a, a drone is. <laughs> yeah, and it was also, I, I have to agree with you, because also it it was kind of corny that, you know, the girl, uh, Gail, I think is her character's name, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. But the one, the one woman who's always drunk and depressed is the one who sees it and she's alone. You know, it wasn't like Carol came back and said, and said, Oh my gosh, you guys, I saw this crazy thing. They all just went, Oh, you're drunk. And honestly, I I love the show. I I feel about it the same way. You know, when we discussed it uh, back, back in the day, you know, I, I feel the same way. It's a sprint. It's, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And, you know, it, it did pay off the first season. And I think this season is paying off as well too. But every time they bring in another human being who's still alive, I think, oh, man, I want to know more about these characters. I don't care about this other guy who I don't, I've never even heard of. I want to see what's going on with these characters because they're all funny and they've built this life. So yeah, I feel the same way. But, again, it's television and you have to, you know, you, you have 30 minutes and you've got to get people to, to tune in again next week. So you got to put something in there, you know, some sort of suspense and stuff, especially a show like this where you never know what's going to happen next. People are kind mm-hmm. of expecting that. But I, I agree that she she said it was a flying thing, but she, she's never heard the word drone before. Oh, what I expected, honestly, was for her to do that and someone to go, do you mean a drone? No and one she knew what, what she was talking right? about. And that's then she's like, crazy. I guess that's what you call it. Yeah, because. Yeah, they, the problem with the show is, you know, they all think, well, everyone's dead but us. 
but people keep showing up who are still alive. So why don't they live under that, that you know, pretense that they're going to keep running into people who are alive, or more importantly, you know, like on The Walking Dead, maybe they need to protect themselves from people who are, you know, going to come along and steal their shit. You know what I mean? But uh, it's a sitcom, so they don't want to. They don't want to go there. You know, I uh, I heard my my pal David, David Bax, my partner on Hey Watch This, told me when the show premiered and he was at Comic-Con, uh, Comic Con, somebody asked them uh, at, at their panel. Somebody said, "Why aren't there dead bodies all over the place?" If yeah, you know, that was my if point. there was a right, mm-hmm. but they but they said flat out, well, that was the way it was written. But unfortunately, Fox said this show is going to be airing at 8.30 on Sundays. And unlike The Walking Dead, we can't really do that. We can't have dead bodies all over the place on TV, on Fox. And the producers and Will Forte all went, yeah, I guess you're right. It's a good point. So they wrote it out. You know, like I said, because it's it's a business and you got to, you know, you got to do things a certain way. Even without the dead bodies, how is every highway clear? How can they drive all over the place? Wouldn't there at least be cars left? I mean, you could have cars, right? Cars aren't offensive. Or is that too? <laughs> <No. laughs> I don't know. It depends on if they're, if they're you know, all like Priuses. That, that might be kind of offensive. Yeah, you got that right. All right, let me ask you this then. The other Phil, they killed off the other Phil. Would, do you think that was a good idea to bring in his brother and then have that kind of combative relationship and then nothing more scary? Hey, is one of these guys going to actually shoot each other? This is getting so heated relationship, and now it's more of the adversarial brother relationship to the like mm-hmm. alpha male butting heads with the kind of goon bubbling idiot. I mean, is that why they took him right. out? Do you think it's a good idea to take him out of the show? Well, um, you know, obviously they set up the fact that Phil's brother was going to come back uh, you know, they set that up in the first season that he was up in space and all that, which is which was brilliant in my opinion. So mm-hmm. it wasn't such a big shock that you know he comes down from space and find happens to find his brother. You know, he just happens to to splash down in you know off the coast of uh, the United States, which is very convenient considering he was in space. But we it, it was set up well enough that it was believable. <clears throat> but I think you're right with. With him showing up, the other Phil really didn't have room, and they had to get rid of him, you know, because that whole uh, two or three episodes where Phil and his brother are trying to prank each other, and there was, you know, and and they were fighting and stuff. You can't have two guys doing that because if if the other Phil was there, the two of them would have teamed up and become best friends or whatever. It just would have ruined the dynamic. So, you know, obviously they had to get rid of him. And I think it also it served a good purpose because he got, um, I guess he got appendicitis or something and that's how he died, right. which is something that they never addressed. Like where are the doctors and where is the medicine, you know, and they can, and they can do simple things like get solar powered to, you know, power their houses during the day. But if some guy comes down with appendicitis, what do you do? There's only one thing you can do, cut him open and take it out. And none of them are qualified to do that. So he has to die. And I thought that was a big deal. I thought they were a little flip about it, quite frankly. I thought they could have been a little more upset about it, but they only have 30 minutes, like I said. But that's that's the realism. At the end of the world, people are going to die from common ailments, you know. And I, mm-hmm. think, I think that's why they did that. 
And I, like I said, I love the show now. Fern, I know this is one of the shows we're talking about that you actually watch. Are you in agreement yeah. with what we're saying here? Or what do you want to add to this? Yeah, I, I think it is it Mary Steenburgen? Steenburgen? Is that who Steenburgen, plays Gail? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really interesting to see her in that role and to be cursing and drinking and, you know, just be the way that she is, because I'm used to seeing her in roles where she's sweet and nice. And so like it's definitely a flip future. for me. Yeah. So that that's really cool for me to watch. But the, the thing I love about this show is, you know, kind of on the same parallel that you guys were saying, I mean, it's a comedy, but there's a lot of serious undertones to the show and it does snap you into yeah, some guy gets appendicitis, what do you do? You know, what if you get the flu humor. and be, you know, oh yeah, it's it's very good. Mm-hmm. And I've thoroughly enjoyed the show. I've enjoyed it from day one, really. It's just a great uh, idea to think about what if I was the last person on earth, what would I do? I mean, would I be, you know, scrapping up Monet's and uh, lighting mm-hmm. shopping carts on fire and having a bathtub <laughs> or a, a kiddie pool full of tequila with a long straw, you know, just yeah, well, all of that of stuff is, is hysterical. Yeah, some of us don't to act like that, though. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the show. We don't <laughs> one or two. Like and we, there may be one or two more this summer. Who knows? <laughs> That's nice. entirely well, possible. And just to redirect, you know, that kind of sums it up for me. I love the show. And then something like this drone thing happens again to snap me out of the universe and go, what what the hell's going on with this? What do we have to look forward to, do you think, tonight on the um, season finale of Last Man on Earth, Paul? Are we going to be disappointed, do you think, or is it going to deliver? Well, um, it's hard to say because of what they set up last week, you know, with uh, Jason Sudeikis getting sick uh, and them, you know, them thinking, oh, he's not immune. He just was, you know, alive because he was in space. So um, that, you know, they they do big stuff, cliffhangers on the season finale on that show. So it, I could easily see, you know, him dying and them actually, you know, having to deal with that again. And it brings back, uh, you know, all the emotions of watching their loved ones die the first time. And, and then, and this is what I predict, I think he will die. And then uh, while they're all dealing with that, then we're going to find out who was sending that drone and, you know, and it'll be a new character, and we'll have to wait the whole summer to see what their deal is. That's my We point. shall see. All right, let's move on to The Good Wife. I've never done this before. I'm OCD. I have to watch everything in order. But for you, Paul, I actually just <laughs> watched the series finale of The Good Wife, not knowing anything about it. I actually thought it was more of a Desperate Housewives-type theme. I didn't even know it was about a law practice. And, it, you know, I like Christopher North. Is that how you say his last name from Law and Order? I always like that guy. North, yeah. But um, the show kind of seemed dry. I don't know if it's because I'm coming in season eight last episode. The show seems a little bit dry to me. Um, what's the big appeal on this? Because this is one of the shows that you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, well, it's uh, the truth is when this show premiered long, long ago, I thought it was terrible. And I told everybody, this show's no good. And then... You know, everybody started watching it, and uh, all the magazines said it's one of the ten best shows on TV, and I disagreed. And then uh, my partner David Bax said uh, uh, it was one of the best legal procedurals on TV, and I thought, well, maybe I ought to give it another chance. So my wife and I started watching it, and we fell in love with it because he's absolutely right. Uh, you know, behind all of the the premise of the show, and you know conspiracy and politics and all the crap that's going on 
is this great legal drama, you know, in the tradition of L.A. law or, you know, any other cool uh, Boston legal or show like that where it's just, you know, people in court arguing and, and they do that a lot. And in the meantime, they have their, their lives going on and people running for political office and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah, so I, I watched the show and I, and I, I liked it a lot. And I'll say this about the finale. Um, I thought it was great, quite frankly, but I know I can see exactly why people didn't like it because it wasn't very satisfying at all, which was the point. And they had set so much stuff in motion leading up to the finale that honestly, uh, you know, you see like watching it the way you did, you see where these characters are, but you have no idea how or why they got there. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the, uh, I, I don't think I'm spoiling this for anybody, but it, that last part where, uh, you know, Christine Bransky walks up and slaps Alicia right in the face. Right. Uh, I'm sure that made almost no sense to you why oh, she did me. that. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's because of this. But, yeah. I mean, but it, it I don't know. I think I got more of the emotional nuance than, than probably he did just because. Yeah. I, well, I the great know. thing was, there, <laughs> you know, it wasn't just what happened in that episode. It was stuff that happened in the preceding episodes. You know, there was, there was a, an earlier episode basically where, Christine Bransky asked her husband, Gary Cole, to exaggerate. And it mm-hmm. was a huge deal because they've set up throughout this whole season and last that he is first and foremost an honest person. And he has built his reputation on being that. And she yeah. asked him to fudge the truth and he got busted. And it was a huge deal. You know, that the, that last episode ends with them in bed and her crying and pleading for his forgiveness. So then when it happened in that episode, and Alicia went after him, of course, uh, you know, then Christine Bransky's like, oh, crap, this is going to ruin my marriage. Mm-hmm. And it was basically the whole episode was about getting your priorities straight. And, you know, and that's what happened. And when Alicia was on the stage with this guy she was no longer in love with doing her job, and she was distracted by a guy who looked like the guy she was in love with, you know, something clicked and she was like what am i doing here this isn't what i want that's what i want and she ran away unfortunately it wasn't him and that's what happens when you know you don't have your priorities straight things uh fade away and you miss your chances and i think that's what this show was about you know the creators wanted to say we're going to show you guys something you necessarily didn't want to see and how you know all only the people who got their priorities straight and followed their dream ended up happy you know you saw carrie he quit and he went to teach law instead, and he seemed really, really happy about that. But it took him a while to get there. Um, you know, I think it was a great finale. It wasn't necessarily the finale everyone wanted, but uh, considering how long the show has been on, and you know, the I mean, the premise of the show is it's a pretty big deal. You know, people forget it was based on Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, that was wow. the whole idea from the show was her standing behind. Uh, Bill Clinton, when he was apologizing for having sex with Monica Lewinsky, that was the the moment that inspired this show, you know. And of course, it got way away from that in the in the years. But that's really what the bottom line of the show is: you make your choices in life, and sometimes you make the wrong choice, and it sends you down a path that you never thought you'd be on. So, well, I'm surprised that's, that's that why it I kind of pivot back to that kind of 
um, show overtone, they didn't kind of pivot back to that with everything going on with Hillary Clinton right now. It seems like they would push it another season and kind of pivot back to that. And then you can watch that show side to side with what's going on with Hillary Clinton and the emails and her and her presidential run and stuff. That's really surprising. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, they they did that, you know, uh, I'm not sure if it was this season or last, where Alicia ran for office, and she had to kind of go through all the stuff. Uh, you know, eventually the, what was it, the, the Illinois Democratic, uh, uh, whatever, the Illinois Democratic group, whatever they're called, like, accused her of, of rigging the election so they could throw, you know, throw suspicion off another guy. And it was, you know, the, the epitome of dirty politics. And so they, they got into that. But honestly, I think people hated it. I think fans didn't enjoy watching it, so they quickly wrapped that storyline up and found her a, a cute boyfriend to to canoodle with. And people really gotcha. Like I underground. I wanted to go back and watch it because it was only ten episodes, and I was like, "Well, I can easily do this before the show on Sunday." <laughs> However, on demand only had the last four or five. So I was like, all right. all right, well, I'm not going to come in on episode six. Yeah, it was the last four. So, Paul, why should everybody be watching Underground? Well, first and foremost, uh, uh, they, it's a great title, but unfortunately it's misleading because people go, what is that about? Because it doesn't tell you anything. But when you find out it's about the Underground Railroad, you're like, what? They, there's a TV show about the Underground Railroad? It's not yeah, a documentary. No or, it's not a TV yeah, that's movie. What I yeah, it's it's a big deal because uh, you know historically people don't do historical dramas like that, especially about American history. Uh, you know that that is still so fresh. You see shows like Turn, you know, yeah. that are uh, that are about American history and stuff like that. But I mean, that was so long ago. Obviously, there are plenty of people in America who still remember how awful slavery was and. Uh, you know, uh, for those of us who uh, live in reality, we know that racism is alive and well in this country. So, mm-hmm. so the show is important in that in that sense that you know not only does it hold up a mirror to society the way art should, but also it's telling this amazing story. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Michigan, and when I was a kid, every month was Black History Month mainly because more than half the kids in my class were black and half my teachers were black. And so uh, they were proud of their heritage. And, and I just grew up learning that, you know, uh, civil rights and slavery and all that stuff. I grew up learning it. Then I moved to Arizona and they were like, what history month? We got one black kid in this high school. I think we're good. Uh, You know? And so there are plenty of people who grow up, not knowing a thing about it. My wife, who is Canadian, she was like Harriet Tubman, right? That was the extent of her uh, knowledge on the Underground Railroad because she well, didn't grow up learning about it. Well, she's doing better than most Americans then. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, so at least she knows who she was. But so that's, so that's important. And then beyond that, the show is really, really good. The acting is amazing. It's very authentic. I mean, they started this story – it's basically a story of like six or seven slaves who decide they're going to get the hell out and, uh, and find the underground railroad. And, you know, throughout the course of the series, more than half of them end up either captured or dead, which, you know, is very realistic. I think there's three of them that are still alive in, in the finale. And, uh, and then it also tells the story of the abolitionists who helped them, uh, people who ran, you know, different stations, 
that the that the slaves could hide out in before they got uh, all the way to the north. So, so you see both sides, and then you also see the story of the slave owners, and how uh, you know they're not just all painted with this same big uh, brush filled with black paint. You know, they uh, this uh, the the main guy uh, Reed Diamond. He's a plantation owner, and he's running for office. He wants to be a politician. And but you find out he has a, he has a is a very complicated relationship with his slaves. You know most of most of the young ones are his children, so he feels uh, a kinship towards them. You know they're not just his property; they're also his his children. And you know that's a very uh, uh, that's a very weird thing. And of course he has a wife who also has a bunch of white kids. And what is her reaction to all this? And it's really it, it's very dense there's a lot of information there's a lot of stuff going on and then on top of it all like i said the acting and the writing is really good journey smollett is on it you know who's on friday night lights uh she's great um and uh aldous hodge who uh who was great on leverage he's he's the star of, of this too and he's really good oh and chris maloney for those of you who wondered when chris maloney was going to come back on tv he's on it he's this uh a slave hunter which I guess was a very lucrative business back then. You could make a good I can living imagine. hunting down slaves and bringing them back to their owners because they're worth a lot of money. Um, but he's, you know, the slave owner, the slave hunter with a heart of gold. Uh, so it, it, it's you can't really deny the acting. And WGN is really, you know, pushing it with Manhattan. They try to do the same thing with Manhattan, build these fictional lives around this real event, and that right. was very interesting. And then they did Salem, the same thing. And they said, you know, that really happened with the witches in Salem. So let's, you know, posit uh, exactly how these people were. And they, and it was that show was crazy, all the crazy witch crap they did. And this show, the same way. Let's tell a story about some slaves who were trying to get their freedom. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's based on actual documents because it. I mean, it seems like it's just it's so actual. You know, it's it's got so much authenticity. Got to check that out then, because history is and right it has in my been renewed house. for season two. Yeah, so that's yeah, something. Yeah, I don't see why like it said, I wanted to see it. I was excited about seeing it, but then they only had the last four or five episodes up, and I was like, no, this is something I actually want to watch from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should definitely. Yeah. All right, uh, we got to get out of here in a minute. I got to touch this last thing, and then we'll talk about at midnight real quick. Walking mm-hmm. Dead, send me your hate mail. I'm just gonna <laughs> say it. I'm starting to get tired of where this show is going. I get it. People are turning into savages because there's no law and order. And every time Rick and his group get somewhere, whether it be the farm, whether it be the prison, and now Alexandra, they're constantly getting run off. Um, The humans are more dangerous than the zombies. I get it. I've seen it a hundred (laughs) times. I feel like this show has burned out its entertainment value with me. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, well, uh, I I mean, I still enjoy it, not not near as much as I used to, but I I think you're absolutely right. The problem is a show like this, where the stakes are so high from the beginning, you know, from the first frame of this show, Rick is fighting for his life against monsters, and every episode that is the that is the the threat that we got to protect ourselves against monsters. Even when you think you're safe, you're not, because the next thing you know, you're overrun and you're getting eaten by a zombie. So uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of like the, the general air of the show around that. But then in the meantime, what else can there be? 
like you said, they're always running up against something and someone new coming in and saying, hi, we're horrible, and we want to take all yep. your things and kill you and rape your women. <laughs> and they have to go, well, we're not going to stand for this. Um, and in this case, it seems to me, I, I never read the graphic novels. So, you know, when I see a character, I'm seeing it for the first time, you know, unlike most people when they saw the governor or Nagin or these other big, you know, big bad characters, I think they had to, I don't know, they, they built up to the governor, and I thought that paid off well, but it went a little too long. With this, I think they wanted to make sure when Negan showed up, everyone was going to, you know, drop their jaws and be like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. And I'm sure they have some great stuff planned for the next season. What I'm hoping is this will be the whole season, them, you know, dealing with Negan and his people and accepting that this is the way life is now because I don't see how I wouldn't bet on that. Of this. How, but how could they get out of this situation is the thing. I mean, they're clearly, mm-hmm. you know, captured and done and overtaken. There's no way they can fight their way out or talk their way out. So I don't know where it's going to go, but it seems to me this will be a new chapter. Uh, it, just like when they, you know, when they got to, uh, you know, met, um, what's her name? Toba Selcha. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When they met Toba Selcha and got there and they thought they were all safe and that was like a new chapter. I think this is going to happen too. They're they're going to have to give up their stuff, and uh, you know, and they're going to have to smell farts for a while. But uh, in the meantime, they're like living their lives, and they're probably going to plot. And who knows? Then at the end of the season, they'll take over. I don't know. But it, you're right. It does seem like just a little more of the same. Ironically, Fear the Walking Dead, which I thought the first season was really weak, has now gotten very good. The last few episodes. Mm-hmm. Of Fear the Walking Dead is actually have actually been really good, and I yeah. agree with you on that. We now well. watch Fear the, yeah, we now watch Fear the Swimming Dead every week. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Once they got on that yep. boat, the show all of a sudden became amazing. Yeah, and that's the only complaint I have with that show is they're constantly looking for a reason to go to shore because they have to be, uh, you know, they have to encounter zombies. They're never going to go an episode without zombies, so it's either right. the zombies are floating in the water or they have to find a reason to go to shore to meet some zombies. And they, it's like the show has to do this cumbersome thing, and it's pushed into doing it. And it just sometimes it doesn't seem natural to me. It seems very. I forced. think the zombies are almost an an afterthought in that show. Which might be why yeah. it works so well, because it's more about the people trying to pick up the pieces of their lives and deal with the fact that this is happening, than everything's so crisis-oriented. Oh, my God, here comes one. I have to kill it, or it's going to kill me. You know, they, that's almost like not even an issue. Plus, it's just how like, do you okay, do we have to deal with the zombies? I mean, the next thing, they, the only other thing they can do now is go into space, right? I mean, how do you do new things with zombies? <laughs> Without What I want them to do on Fear the Walking Dead is like they, they pull into port and then they have a bunch of guest stars, Jamie Farr and Nipsey Russell and Charo all show up, but they're zombies. And it's like, oh, good to see you. And they go off and they go off on these little adventures and a few zombies fall in love. And then that's the end of the episode. Right. That's do you do a Jamie Farr zombie? That is a very good question. No, never. Can you behead never. somebody you were a fan of? All right, do you want to make a prediction who died in that last Walking Dead episode? Do you want to take a gamble with this? Oh, I haven't watched it yet, but um, oh. you know the internet. The internet is a buzz about because of those pictures of Daryl and uh, and Glenn, meaning the two of them have to be still alive. 
Uh, but I don't know. Here's the thing about The Walking Dead. I have tried to, I, I have said many times, well, this character's got to be dead. There's no way he could survive that. And I was proven wrong. So uh, I now, I'm gun shy. I don't like to say anymore who's dead and who's alive. Because I have a feeling the producers pretend to kill somebody and then they go on the internet and see what everyone thinks and then they do the opposite. That's my, huh. that's, that's what I think they do. Alrighty, fair enough. Tuesday, you are going to be on at midnight with Chris Hardwick. Chris Hardwick, I don't understand how this guy sleeps. It seems like he's got his hands in a thousand different pies. I love what he does, but I mean, the guy's yeah. a maniac. He's everywhere. What's going on with at midnight? And when was the last time you were on TV? Was it? I mean, it wasn't Beat the Geeks, right? You've been on television since then. Yeah, I have been on TV since then, and whatever you know, act uh, commercials and and uh, other game shows and, and things like that. But this is, this is a big deal for me because it's the, my return to comedy central, you know, when I was on beat the geeks, I was on comedy, I was on comedy central five right. nights a week and it was a, it was very fun. So this is like, it's a return to comedy central. It's a return to the, to a game show. Uh, and everybody on that show is my friend. You know, I've known Maria Bamford for over 20 years. Uh, I met Greg years ago at the, at uh, the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, and of course I've known Chris for a million years too, and I know people who work on that show, so I'm you know I'm really looking forward to it because it, it's a ton of fun. I went to a taping last week. Uh, Rachel Bloom, Emo Phillips, and Reggie Watts were on. Wow, and I Emo went to that. Love yeah, Emo. it was really fun. That's I had to go to see Emo, um, but it was really fun, and so. You know, I was like, I want to be on this show. And then one day, I, I was tweeting stuff about it, like I always do. And then Hardwick, like, re, retweeted it and said, should I make this happen? And I was like, oh, crap. And I realized, yeah, he could make this happen if he wanted to. It's his show. And apparently that's what he did. He called someone and said, uh, contact Paul Gold. We'll put him on the show. And next thing you know, here I am. So hopefully, you know, if I if I do well, they'll have me back like they do. They need three people per show, but it's funny that, you know, I was on Comedy Central on a game show, you know, or it was like back in 2000, you know, we're talking over 15 years ago, and now here I, uh, here I am back 20 years later. I honestly thought I was retired. I thought I was done, but uh, here so many years later going back on Comedy Central, and uh, the great thing is my 30-year uh, high school reunion is coming up this year. So now when there I go, go back, I can go, yeah, right, losers, I was on TV. Suck it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, one thing this has taught me, and I, I follow you on Twitter, and you are a mastermind. You are almost at fucking Trump level when it comes to using Twitter. And you, you look at this, and it's almost like you don't even need an agent if you have a strong enough Twitter, right? You can almost make things happen. Yeah. And with within 140-character tweets – more than having an agent at bat for you, right? Yeah, well, social media has gotten to the point where, you know, obviously young kids can go get on social media and make themselves famous and build a fan base. So you don't need, it's almost like you can be your own publicist. Granted, if you want to, you know, actually work in Hollywood and have that be your job, you're going to have to have some sort of agent and stuff just because you can't do all that work yourself and you should hire somebody to negotiate things for you. That's just good business. But... Uh, but you're right. You don't need that stuff uh, like you did in the old days. You know, uh, you look back on people like Jerry Seinfeld and, uh, you know, when they were getting big in comedy, 
if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, they had such great managers and, and agents and stuff, they never would have been as big, but those managers saw something in them. But so, but now it's different. You got, you know, people on YouTube who get famous and then the managers come to them and go, Hey, let me help you out and get more legit. So, but you're right. You can build a fan base and get, uh, you know, get people paying attention to you just by being uh, active on social media uh, you know, it's when Beat the Geeks was on the first time, there was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. It was right. MySpace only. That was the closest uh, thing. MySpace. You know, and it's funny because, you know, that was the, that's the whole point of At Midnight. Hardwick said, I want to do like a funny comedy show. Well, he used to do this live show called The, the Joke Machine, which was basically a, a, a game show where he would uh, basically shout premises at comedians and they'd buzz in and make jokes. It was very simple. And he was trying to make it into a TV show for years. Obviously, then at some point he said, let's focus it all around social media. There's got to be a social media game show on TV. And, and, they, you know, and that's what they did with this. So it's, it's funny that when they have contestants, you know, you've got to have three people to show. And they have contestants on who you may have never heard of before. You know, you're like, who is this person? I've never seen them on TV or heard their name or whatever. And then maybe you Google them and you find out, oh, they're a YouTube star with, you know, over 7 million subscribers. Uh, and, you know, uh, even though that doesn't mean anything to you, you can't deny that that's a big deal. You know, right. and you have people like Grace Helbig on and Mamory Hart uh, on the show. And, you know, for the most people, the, the public has no idea who they are, but they're very, very popular. And so At Midnight is tapping into that. And obviously it's been a huge success, you know. Whoever thought this show would would be on for so long. The other thing about Hardwick is he stopped uh, drinking and doing drugs a few years ago, um, so that's why he works so much because he's got so much crap going on in his head that if he doesn't dull it with drugs and alcohol, he has to work twenty four seven. So that's a good that's why, that's why he, that's why he looks so good too because he works out like three hours every day. All right. Well, fair enough. Tell everybody. I can't believe this has lasted an hour. We got to get out of here. Tell everybody when at midnight's coming on. I know it's Tuesday. I don't know what time in Eastern time, which, which is where I'm at, and where everybody can find you. <laughs> well, it's usually on uh, at midnight, hence the title. That makes sense. Uh, mon- Monday through Thursday. <laughs> so Tuesday, uh, Tuesday at midnight on Comedy Central. I will be on. If you're in another country, I know in Canada you can watch it on Much which is the, like, the Canadian MTV, so they show it there. And if you don't watch it, you can watch it the next day on Hulu. You can watch it on the Comedy Central website. You can see the whole thing. If you follow me on Twitter, I will bombard you with links for places to watch it and pictures and stuff, and I'm sure there will be tons of GIFs about it. So, yeah, follow me on Twitter, at Paul Goble Show, and, uh, and you'll be able to hear all about it. And you can be my friend on Facebook, too. I'll happily accept your friend request. Very nice. All right, Paul, thank you for wrapping this up with us on our last episode on Blog Talk, and we will have you back just as soon as we get Tin Can Media up and running. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys having me on again. All righty, guys. Um, You can hear us one more time. At the end of the month, I'll be talking with Tom Kiefer from Cinderella. We'll do a couple live shows in June as we're building a new website, and then we are moving to tincan.media. Right, D. Dot media, not dot com, which is yep. important. Yeah, yeah. That's strictly a podcast media. browser, or a podcast extension, I guess, is what you would call it. 
Well, for us it is anyway. Uh, but yeah, it will be at tincan.media. Definitely keep an eye out on all of our Facebook pages. All of us will have it on there. The Ignorance Equation will have it there. Kettlefish will have it on there. If you follow any of our dear friends, I'm sure that they will have it up there, uh, like John Lear, and I'm sure we'll let Paul know and uh, all of our buddies out there, yeah. Absolutely. And, um, mm-hmm. Paul, I'm going to play some Mary Tyler Moore that you sing. I didn't notice, so I went really <laughs> deep into your website, but you've got a CD where you sing MASH and Punky Brewster and a bunch of um, 80s hits, right? Are they yeah, 80s or, or 70s? Know, I guess they're 70s and 80s. It's both, yeah. Shows. You know, a lot of comedians like to put out CDs and stuff uh, with comedy jokes on them, but uh, I wanted to put out a CD where I sang. So it's all TV theme songs on my CD. Like you said, MASH, Punky Brewster, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Moonlighting, um, all your favorite TV themes. And you can, uh, and actually, if you want to buy it, you can go to my website, thekingoftv.com, and you can buy the CD. I'll happily send you one. But uh, like I said, it's just me singing TV theme songs. It's it's just fun. That's what it is. Is um, Mr. Belvedere on there? Did you tackle Randy Newman and do some Mr. Belvedere? I wanted to, uh, but the problem is I couldn't find... I couldn't find a version of the song without uh, without Leon Redbone singing it, so uh, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to sing along with it. I, I've been always like looking and looking for like a karaoke version of that song because yeah, I, I love, love it, that but song. I have I have never been able to uh, to record it now. All righty, guys, we will see you shortly. Follow our pages for updates because we're kind of scattered right now. Fern, have the last word. I haven't heard from you much today. Oh, I'm super excited about TinCan.media and super excited to talk to Paul and just follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We'll keep you up to date and keep your ears to the ground. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Who can turn the world on with her smile? Who can take a nothing day and suddenly Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 400,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. 